Daniel. As we close out our study in the book of Daniel, beginning, we'll be starting up next Sunday, 1 Peter, living life on purpose, being intentional. And this chapter in Daniel 12 leads very nicely into next week. You'll see a lot of similarities as you come next week on this subject here. But Daniel chapter 12, page 636, if you're using the Bibles in the pews. Follow along as I read Daniel chapter 12. I'm going to begin at verse 5, read down to verse 10, then I'll pray. And we'll look at this passage here. Daniel 12, verse 5. says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be a time for a time, times and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, What will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Lord, help our hearts to be wise to you this morning. We seek your wisdom. You tell us if we lack it to ask you for it and you'll give it to us. We lack it. We need your wisdom. So we may be wise. Guide us in looking at this passage this morning. May it touch our hearts. May it make a difference in our lives so that we go from here being difference makers for you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Spence said... Prediction is a very difficult art, especially when it involves the future. (laughs) What other kind of prediction is there? Let me give you some predictions. In 1943, Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM, said, I think there's a world market for about five computers. In 1977, Ken Olson founder of Digital Equipment Corporation, said, there's no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. In 1926, it was said that the television may be feasible, but an impossibility, a development which we should waste little time dreaming about. And then in 1939, the New York Times said the problem of TV was that people had to glue their eyes to the screen and the average person wouldn't have time for it. Decca Recording Company, in rejecting the Beatles in 1962, said, we don't like their sound, and guitar music is on its way out. <laughs> Some of you may have wished that happened. Lord, Lord Kelvin, President, Royal Society in 1895, said, heavier-than-air flying machines are impossible. An English astronomy professor in the early 19th century added, Air travel at high speed would be impossible because passengers would suffocate. 
engineer at the Advanced Computers, Computing Systems Division of IBM in 1968, commenting on the microchip, said, but what is it good for? <laughs> Western Union internal memo in 1876 said, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Actor Gary Cooper, when asked about his decision not to take the lead role in Gone with the Wind, replied, well, I'm just glad it'll be Clark Gable who's falling on his face and not Gary Cooper. How'd that turn out? And Apple computer founder Steve Jobs, on attempts to get Atari interested in his personal computer, he said this, so I went to Atari and said, hey, I've got this amazing thing, even built with some of your parts, and what do you think about funding me? Or I'll give it to you. I just want to do it. Pay my salary, and I'll come work for you. And they said, no way. He goes on to say, then I went to Hewlett Packard, and they said, we don't need you. You haven't got through college yet. Predictions. We're all familiar with the well-known statement that the Titanic was unsinkable, and that God himself could not sink this ship. What a stupid thing to say. And of course, end-of-the-world predictions are as ancient as humankind. I don't even care to give you a sample of those. I'm not going to waste my time. There are also those who forecast what the future will look like in terms of our economy and technology, team performance and sports. Many forecasts were offered uh, considering this hurricane, Hurricane Isaac, just this past week. amount of rain and the path it would take, the rate of winds... And often blame is assigned to those forecasters and those in authority for either underestimating or overestimating the potential damage. But can finite people ever get it right all the time? Is it possible to predict with 100% accuracy what will happen next? Spence said forecasts are dangerous, especially those about the future. But are there any other kind of forecasts? Don't they all involve the future? And yet there's a fascination within all of us about the future. I mean, why is it that fortune tellers and, and palm readers and mediums and other predictors of the future continue to have such an audience? I'm reminded of the fortune teller who was gazing into a crystal ball as the frog was seated eagerly waiting to hear about his future. And the fortune teller says to the frog, you're going to meet a beautiful young woman. From the moment she sets eyes on you, she will have an insatiable desire to know all about you. She will be compelled to get close to you. You'll fascinate her. And the frog replies, where am I? At a singles club? The fortune teller answers, no, biology class. <laughs> I like that. Get it? Not exactly what he was hoping to hear. The future. Why do we want to know? Well, deep down, there's this, there's this curiosity about what is to come. Some want to know about the future because of fear of the unknown. And they figure if they can just know what lies ahead, then they can better deal with it. Some want to know the future so they can capitalize on it. 
Well, God lets us in a little about the future. And as we come to the end of our study in the book of Daniel, there's a warning of a storm coming. It is more fierce than Katrina, Isaac, and any other storm we have ever known. We have the final forecast given by the only one who knows what is to come. Make no mistake about it, God's forecast is 100% accurate. Now, why does God let us in on future events? To remind us that he is in control and is directing the course of human history. God shows us the future so we will trust him more. He also tells us the future for both a warning and an admonishment. It's God's desire that people might come to salvation as he warns them of coming judgment. There's a warning to unbelievers. Get your act together. Judgment is coming. But it's also the future is given as an admonishment and a motivation for us to get busy living for him. And since we know that the Lord is coming, then let's live wisely rather than waste our lives. And that's where we're headed this morning. Living wisely rather than wasting our lives. Living wisely rather than wasting our lives. Now, first pass. It may seem as though this passage has very little to say to where we live life today. But bear with me, I think you'll discover some timeless truths that speak, can speak to your heart this very day. Matter of fact, my outline for this passage is made up of three points of application. So if you take notes, point number one is the only list of names that matters for eternity is the book that God keeps. Let me say that again. The only list of names that matters for eternity is in the book that God keeps. Look with me at Daniel chapter 12. Look at verse 1 of Daniel chapter 12. The chapter opens up with the words, at that time. What time? Well, it's the time that he's been discussing up until this point, and so we need to reach back to Daniel chapter 11 to make sense of what he says here in chapter 12. So look with me at verse 35 of Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11, verse 35 says, Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. Now see how God's love never lets go. He is so committed to his people that there will be a day, still yet future from the time of Daniel's writing, in which the holy people of God, the remnant of Israel, will be purged and refined. In chapter 12, verse 10, he he says the same thing. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. Well, when will that take place? Well, look with me at verse 31 of Daniel 11. Because he fleshes out some more what he's already been talking about earlier in the chapter, the time of the Antichrist. Chapter 11, verse 31 says, His, the Antichrist, armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. So that will be reinstated reinstated at some point. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. 
Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. Look down at verse 36. The king, the Antichrist, will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself about every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. Verse 37. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. So when Daniel says in verse 1 of chapter 12, at that time, he is speaking to that time when the Antichrist would bring an incredible amount of pain to Israel, but all for the purpose of purging and refining them. But it's a pretty bleak message. The middle of verse 1 of chapter 12, it describes it as a time of distress, such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. That's just another way of saying this is the worst ever. The announcement to the people of God, to Israel, is the worst is yet to come. They think it's been bad. They ain't seen nothing yet. It will go from bad to worse. And you can compare that with what Jesus says in Matthew 24. You don't need to turn there, but just jot it down. In Matthew 24, Jesus refers to Daniel 9, 27 and Matthew 24, verse 15 and following. And then he says these words in Matthew 24, verse 22. Jesus says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Folks, there will be an unprecedented time of distress for the people of God. God allows the Antichrist to oppress Israel in this act of purging. Now, you're free to disagree with me on this. You would not be alone. But one of the reasons I hold to the church being raptured either prior to the seven-year tribulation or at the midpoint of the tribulation is what we see right here. One of the purposes of the tribulation, as I can see in Scripture, is for the purification and testing of Israel. I believe a second, person, a second purpose would be judgment and punishment on Gentile nations who oppressed Israel. But I don't see the church around for the entire period of the tribulation. Like I said, you're free to disagree with me on this, if you don't mind being wrong. No, just kidding, just kidding. I am, I'm really kidding. But it all sounds dreadful, kind of like a downer of a message. But there's a message of hope to be found in the midst of this. At the worst of times, when this great world ruler will attempt to slaughter all of Israel, when he will desecrate the temple and set himself up as greater than Yahweh God, and the end of that can never end well for you. It is this last three and a half years when everything is at its worst that God's people can have hope. The darkest comes before the dawn. And while this will be a time of great distress for God's holy people, there's also a defender. His name is Michael, and the great prince who protects his people will arise, it tells us in verse 1 of chapter 12. And the point of chapter 12, verse 1, is that when the battle gets the hottest... When there is intense persecution, Michael comes to the rescue. He rescues it from being totally obliterated. 
Now, the delivered ones are those of the believing, believing remnant of Israel. Well, why are they delivered? Well, the end of verse 1 answers that. I want you to follow along. It says, I'll read all of one. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Why are they delivered? Their names are written in God's book. I ask you, is your name in that book? Have you been delivered from God's wrath upon your sin because your trust is in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If it's still about do, your name is not written in that book. If it is about done, your name is there. You see, it isn't a church membership list that's going to matter at the end. It isn't some club your name is on that's going to matter in the end. Or some volunteer nonprofit list that you're on that's going to matter. The only list of names that matters for eternity is in the book that God keeps. Is your name in that book? This is the most important question ever because of its implications in the future. Because it goes on, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life. And others to shame and everlasting contempt. We go from rescue to the resurrection. There are two parts of the resurrection. Part one is for those who are resurrected to everlasting life. Part two is for those who are resurrected to everlasting contempt. Everybody's going to come out of the grave, some to life and some to eternal separation from Jesus Christ. That breaks my heart. If your name's in the book... Your hope is found in what comes next. This notice appeared in the window of a coat store in Nottingham, England. The sign on the door said this of this coat store. It said, we have been established for over 100 years. We've been pleasing and displeasing customers ever since. We have made money and lost money, suffered the effects of coal nationalization, coat rationing, government control, and bad payers. We have been cussed, disgusted, messed about, lied to, held up, robbed, and swindled. And the only reason we stay in business is to see what happens next. (laughs) I love that. Now, whatever you might be going through right now, stay with it to see what happens next. Because God's telling us what happens next. No matter how bleak things may be for you, the God of hope has something incredibly wonderful in store for you. Hang in there. Better than that, we have something to live for while we wait for what comes next. Daniel mentions that after the resurrection, that isn't the end. There comes the rewards. And I want to move to our second point of application, and it is this. The only stars that matter in the end are those who shine for the Lord. The only stars that matter in the end are those who shine for the Lord. Look at verse 3 of Daniel 12. 
It says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Well, who are the wise ones to which Daniel is referring? Well, first of all, the wise ones are the ones who choose life now, ones who trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The wise ones are those who, ones who endure the purging hand of the Lord. The wise are the ones who are faithful. And it says of the wise here, they will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, while the target audience of this prophecy is to Israel, it is a word to all of us as well. The best I can tell, this is referring to, is is that in eternity, we're going to shine like stars. We're going to have the capacity to eternally radiate the glory of God. That capacity will be dependent upon our faithfulness while here on the earth. All the stars in heaven are going to be beautiful, yes. They're all going to have a different beauty, yes. But the degree of brightness, the greatest stars the ones who will shine the brightest, the ones who will most show off the radiance of his glory will be those faithful believers who turn others to righteousness. That's what I think it's saying here. And if I'm correct on that, that has a serious application and implication to our life. You see, we're going to receive different crowns and rewards based upon whether or not we lived wisely or wasteful lives. Daniel lived wisely, not wasting his life. Here's the challenge. What are you doing to contribute to such a future? How bright is your shine for Christ right now? Because that's how bright it's going to be on the other side. As you think of your life at this moment in time, are you living wisely or are you wasting your life? Is your life revolving around chasing the American dream? or around excessive entertainment, or surfing the web, or taking care of your possessions and and buying more, and, and running here and there and everywhere, and yet giving little attention to turning others to righteousness? We're to shine, brothers and sisters in Christ. In Philippians 2.15, it says, So that you may become children of God, blameless and pure, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. We want to shine on the other side? We need to shine for Christ here. Are you shining for Christ? Am I? Are we living our lives wisely or are we wasting our lives? I need to get to the third point of application because it really boils down to this. The only life worth living in the end is one lived in faithfulness to our Lord here. The only life worth living in the end is one lived in faithfulness to our Lord here. We pick it up in verse 4. Follow along, verse 4. It says, but you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on the bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying it will be for a time, times and half a time and when the power of the holy people has been finally broken all these things will be completed. Well, what in the world's going on here? 
while Daniel's trying to process all of what he's been told, it's as if one of the angels standing there beats Daniel to the punch. And he asks the question of the length of time of the Antichrist's reign of terror. The question is directed to the third being standing there. It's of a man clothed in linen. I believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ, the Christophany. The second person of the Trinity has information that Daniel and the angels do not have. And the answer he gives to that question, how long is this going to be? The answer is it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. Or in other words, a year, two years, and half a year. It is spoken of elsewhere as 1,260 days and also of 42 months. The second half of the tribulation, the three and a half years, is going to be worse than the first half. Actually, the first half may seem like a calm before the storm. And it's at that midpoint of the seven-year tribulation that the Antichrist, the counterfeit Christ, will perform all of his trickery, show off his magic, and deceive many people while oppressing God's people. He will turn on the nation Israel and seek to annihilate them. Daniel still isn't satisfied. He wants more information. And he says in verse 8, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? What is his answer? Verse 9 says, get this, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the end. What kind of answer is that? In effect, he says to Daniel, stop asking questions. You have all the information you need. I find this less of a a rebuke and more of words of assurance telling Daniel God's in control. I think he's telling Daniel, I think he's telling us, be content with what God has revealed and not get lost in meaningless speculation. And all too often, and many books are written about future events because people keep buying them. But all too often, people are spending their time trying to figure out every nook and cranny in prophecy, and they just muddy the waters. Yet, as it says here, we won't fully understand it. Oh, in some ways we have more information than Daniel because we have the entire New Testament. But even still, we cannot understand it all. And I believe God would say the same to us, go your way. The time will come when it will all make sense, but for now, live your days for him. Live wisely. And you know what? Most of us, correction, all of us are going to get our eschatology rearranged in the end anyway. Because no one has it perfectly right. Warren Worsby tells a story of when he was a young man preaching on the last days with all the events of prophecy clearly laid out and perfectly planned. At the end of the service, an older gentleman came up to him and whispered in his ear, In all due respect, Pastor, I used to have the Lord's return planned out until the last detail as well, just like you. But years ago, I move from the planning committee to the welcoming committee. I like that. Are we welcoming others in? That's what it's about. Knowing God's final forecast compels us to be about welcoming others into the kingdom before it's too late. Daniel doesn't need any more information because everything is directed by the hand of God. And when more information is needed, God will provide it. And so instead of trying to unlock the secret things that belong to God, which is his business, Daniel should focus on the other business at hand. What is Daniel's business? Look at verse 13. 
you miss everything else this morning, let's grab this. Verse 13 of Daniel chapter 12. It says, As for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest, and at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Here is the primary word to us this morning. Daniel is told to go his way, meaning to continue to live his life as he has lived it to this point until he passes away. And how does Daniel, how did Daniel live his life? Well, what have we seen of Daniel throughout this book? He's a man of integrity. He's a man of cooperation without compromise. He was a man who respected and trusted and was trusted by those in authority. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of resolve. He was a man of discipline. He was a man of courage. He was a man who identified with his people. And God is saying, Daniel, as we come to the end of this book, as we come to the nearing the end of your life, live as you've been living right to the end. I mean, don't quit your job, Daniel. Don't go get your pajamas on, sit on the roof and wait for his coming. Some have done that. Don't go selling all your possessions and and sit in a rocking chair with with your hands folded and rock back and forth. Don't fill your bucket list with all the things you should do for yourself before you die. No, Daniel, keep doing what you've been doing. And the challenge was, would God turn to me and say, Brian, keep doing what you're doing? Can he say that to you? Is it time to rearrange our priorities? Is it time to let him meddle in the use of our time and the use of our money and the use of our talents, the use of our abilities? How does knowing this final forecast impact your life? Does it drive you to get all you can while you can? Stories told of a man who, while walking on the beach, found washed up on the sand a used magic lamp. When the genie answered his rub, he told him that the lamp contained one remaining wish. The man pondered for a moment and then requested a copy of the stock page from the local newspaper dated exactly one year later. In a puff of smoke, the genie was gone, and in his hands was a newspaper with a financial news section in front of him. Excitedly, the man perused his trophy. He could invest with certainty, knowing the winners one year in advance. He then turned the paper over and found on the reverse side the obituary column. The name on the top of the listing caught his attention. It was his. In the end, what really matters? As God said to Daniel, he says to us, you will rest and at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. The promise you have is this. You're going to receive your lot at the end of all this. When you die, you will rise again. And when you rise, you'll be rewarded eternally. The question is, what will be your reward? What did you give this life to? How have you turned others to righteousness? You see, faithfulness today leads to your reward in the future. In Matthew 24, when Christ comes, he asks the question, will you be busy in the kingdom? One day in 1789... The Connecticut House of Representatives were gathered together when suddenly the sky of Hartford darkened ominously. Some of the representatives glancing out the windows feared the end was at hand. 
the Speaker of the House, trying to calm down the crowd, clamoring for adjournment, rose and he said, hey, the day of a a judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. So bring candles and let's continue. Rather than fearing what is to come, we're to be faithful till Jesus returns. That's why he gives us this. Go about your business and leave the future with God. So go on your way. Go on your way, young person. Go on your way, senior saint. Go on your way, aging boomers and growing Gen Xers and millennials and whatever category you fit in. And get on with life. Get on living for what really matters in the end. Live wisely and not waste your life. Let's see the power of a life lived in complete faithfulness to our Lord. Let's go get him. Let's turn others to righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word in Daniel. Sometimes hard to know at first pass where we're going to go with this, how we're going to get some nuggets for us today. And yet, God, I hope we receive some. I certainly did this week. Speak to our hearts. May we not waste our lives, but may we live wisely, making the most of every opportunity while the days are evil, because you're coming soon, however that, whatever that looks like. May we be, be faithful doing what we, you've called us to do. You'll find us there. May we go on our way in your strength and power. In Jesus' name, amen.